Welcome to the Heal Podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama Five, founder of Lyme 360 and a Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to hear about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. This week's podcast is brought to you by Air Oasis. As a Lyme warrior, I know how important it is to have clean air in the home. I've been using a room air purifier, but recently had to purchase an all-home unit to combat mold issues throughout our house. I did some research and found a great company called Air Oasis. Their air purifiers help fight bacteria, viruses, and mold. So if you have not put in an air purifier into your home, go to lime360.com forward slash air oasis. They carry room units as well as entire home units. Welcome back to the Heal Podcast. This is Mimi, and today we have Dr. Jane Mark, who is a holistic psychiatrist from New York City. We're going to talk about a topic not often discussed with Lyme, mental health, and how Lyme causes depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, and many other psychiatric disorders. Dr. Mark specializes in Lyme psychiatry, and she has found a great success practicing a technique called integrative psychiatry. She is also a fellow Lyme warrior. To get my Detox for Lyme checklist, go to Lyme360.com forward slash Detox Checklist. So Dr. Mark, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I heard you speak this fall at one of the Lyme summits online. So I really liked what you were talking about, especially as it relates to teens and mental health and Lyme. Mm -hmm. And so thank you so much for coming on today because I think it's an important topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how did you come to kind of focus on Lyme um, patients for your practice? Well, I like to say I got into Lyme the honest way, which is I had it. Oh, you did. Okay. So I had Lyme for many, many years before I was diagnosed. And when I was finally diagnosed, I kind of, last time I dated myself by saying, you know, I got it at age 17. I was diagnosed at age 60. Um, yeah. That was, oh, that's a long, so you had it that long before you were diagnosed. Yeah. I was really sick. Wow. Pretty sick, but I got diagnosed and I did extremely well with treatment, had a fabulous year, actually traveled, you know, which I hadn't been able to do in a long time and thought I was cured. And then a year later I relapsed. And so what I discovered was Lyme didn't fit the model of infectious disease that I'd been taught in medical school and internship and residency. And I realized I needed to learn. So I started going to ILADS meetings and I did a preceptorship where I sat in the office of a Lyme doctor one day a week and learned how to treat Lyme, as well as taking the Lyme classes that teach you how. And I gradually began to recognize that some of my psychotherapy patients had Lyme. Mm -hmm. And so my first diagnoses were people who I'd already been treating for a long time and not recognizing this. And I mainly had a psychotherapy practice. Once I started recognizing Lyme in my own patients, I began to get known and people referred me people who they thought might have Lyme. And, you know, it just went from there. It took off. And now 80% of my practice is psychiatric symptoms with Lyme disease. 
Wow. Okay. Wait. So there's so much to unpack there. First of all, I'm amazed that you could go through medical school having Lyme. I mean, I don't know if it's anything like what I've been going through. I have a hard time reading, concentrating, memorizing, stamina, those 24-hour shifts that you were going. How, how did you do that with Lyme? I have a lot of trouble with reading, and I, I put in more hours than any of my friends. I would just sit there with the textbooks, and I would highlight it, then I would underline it, then I would rewrite it, then I would wow. rewrite it again, rewrite it again. I did nothing else other than try to pound the information into me. And when I got it pounded in, it often left very quickly. Mm-hmm. The way I really learned was by doing. I learned more in internship and residency, but I had a very hard time getting through medical school. I worked really way harder and yeah. I was not you know, at the top of the class. Right. Well, kudos to you that you could do that, honestly. I had a philosophy for many, many years as I got sicker and sicker that I don't encourage anybody to have. It's called FIDO. The first word is a curse word. Can I say it here? Yeah, sure. It's bucket drive on. Okay. And no matter how I felt, I would just say FIDO. Yep. And I raised two kids as a single mom. And it was all Fido, Fido, Fido. Yeah. So it was very hard. I can't imagine. Yeah. With the kids too. I mean, that's a lot to be a single mom, go through medical school and then um, provide for, for all of you. What ultimately got you better? Was it antibiotics or what treatment ultimately? It was antibiotics more than anything. Yeah. I had one treatment with ozone, hyperbaric ozone recently for another reason, for a post-COVID reason. And I never got night sweats again. So I think this one treatment with hyperbaric ozone treated my babesia, which was still tagging along, mm-hmm. but not causing major psychiatric symptoms. Right. And so what do you think caused your relapse? Stress. Stress. And have you had to change the way you've eaten and you've had to maintain that this whole time? I did, but I, I don't now. I honestly, no. I don't that much. I stay away from gluten. I've gone through periods of being very strict with my diet, of no gluten, no dairy. And all I can say is that everything that I have had and experienced has been unpredictable. And I could write a story about the causes of each flare. And they don't really have any truth value. They're just... They're all different each time. Yeah. They're just stories. Yeah. Now, do you believe Lyme, you can get rid of Lyme or you just put it kind of into recession and kind of... Well, I believe that with the, with the drugs we have now that we can get rid of it. I don't think we were very good at getting rid of persisters for a long time. But I think with the studies that have come out of Stanford where they've like just run everything through to see what kills persisters, we now have drugs that kill the persisters for Lyme. Disulfiram is one of them. Daptomycin mm-hmm. uh, and Dapsone kill the persisters. Tinidazole and Flagyl do, but they're not as good as Daptomycin or Dapsone or even Disulfiram. So they kill Lyme persisters, and now we have a whole list of things that kill Bartonella persisters. 
Dr. Tom Moorcroft has been getting really good results with methylene blue and clotrimazole. And I've been using that recently. I can't tell you whether I have fabulous results with it, but given the killing impact on persisters versus the free-floating forms, mm-hmm. it should be a great combination. Right. And okay. there are others. There are others on the list now. So when you see patients, are you actually dealing with treating their Lyme or are you helping them more with the psychiatric part of it? I'm helping more with the psychiatric part. I treated the Lyme at the beginning, but as my practice grew, the patients became more and more complex. Mm -hmm. And they went from being simple anxiety or depression and fairly early Lyme to being very complicated patients with really debilitating symptoms that really are very time intensive and and emotionally intensive for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to treat. I want the Lyme doctors to treat. But I will occasionally with the patient who I think is going to be very compliant and is good about taking meds and keeping with the program and reporting problems, I will do do disulfiram. And for Bartonella, I will do methylene blue and clotrimazole because these don't have to be monitored all that closely. Right. But but not not in general. And most of the patients, they also have Lyme and Babesia. So there's so many. And then you have have to take into consideration like the mold or the parasites or any of the other stuff. And I don't use parasites. Yeah, it's just a whole detoxing program. What percentage of your patients are adults versus like teenagers or children? So I started age 17. Okay. So I can tell you that of the phone calls I get, and I get daily phone calls for new patients, that of the phone calls, I have to say no to a large number because they're under 17 and I'm not set up to be dealing with the school system and Mm -hmm. everything that you have to do with younger kids. I'm not trained in child psychiatry. So I started 17 and I would say that the majority of patients being referred to me now are between 17 and 28. Mm -hmm. And that's new. That's the shift over the years. The patients that I got originally were in their 40s and 50s, maybe their 30s. They had kids. Occasionally, I I would diagnose their kids, but usually it was the adults coming to me. Right. Is there, if anyone's listening and they have children who are under 17, is there anybody you kind of refer out at this point or that kind of do what you do, but for younger? I don't have anybody specific for the teenage group. Um, I think Dr. Fritt is taking care of teenagers. I think Dr. Mao up in Boston is taking care of teenagers. Rosalie Greenberg is taking care of the younger kids, more of the elementary school age kids. Mm-hmm. She really wants to catch them young, and she's wonderful with them. But I don't have a large list for the teens, and I should make it. I, I should have a list. So, Well, it's hard. It's really hard. So... If they're coming to you, are they typically already diagnosed with the Lyme no. or Babesia? Or, no, you're the one. They come to you with psychiatric well, issues, well, and then you kind of figure out that it could be the Lyme. They're a mix. Mm-hmm. They come to me with psychiatric issues, and mostly they've heard that it might be Lyme. A friend tells them, go get it checked out. And instead of going to a Lyme doctor, because their symptoms are psychiatric, they come to me. 
Mm-hmm. And I will do a very thorough workup in all of the blood so that by the time I'm sending them to a Lyme doctor, they've had a vast array of blood work. That's amazing because I think most psychiatrists don't do blood work. And I, it always amazes me when I hear friends or families that are, are going on psychiatric drugs. And I'm like, well, have you tested to make sure your vitamin D is high or make sure you don't have Lyme? And they're like looking at me like, what? And I'm like, it just amazes me that a lot of psychiatrists don't do a blood test to figure it's, out what's going on internally. Psychiatric residency is very soft on medicine. They do a very light medicine half of an internship. I trained to be an internist. So I did a full internal medicine residency. I'm board eligible in internal medicine. And when I switched into psychiatry, I didn't like it. I didn't like throwing Thorazine and antidepressants at people. I thought these were terrible drugs. I didn't like therapy. You know, I, I thought that what I was being taught was baloney. You know, I, I never saw anybody do therapy. My teachers would report what they did behind closed doors. I would report what I did behind closed doors, but we never saw it. And in medicine, you always saw what people were doing. You know, if you were going to learn how to do a lumbar puncture, you saw somebody do a lumbar puncture and you did a lumbar puncture with somebody watching you. And then you taught it. It wasn't that way in psychiatry. So I did fellowship training in something called consultation liaison, which is psychiatry in the general hospital. So I worked on dialysis transplant units. I worked on burn units. I worked in coronary care units. I stayed in the general hospital. So I stayed comfortable with it. And even before I was treating Lyme, I knew that anybody with psychiatric symptoms, I was going to do thyroid studies. I was going to look for syphilis. I was going to look at their B12. You know, there was a basic panel for anybody that came to me. And that was before I learned about integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. It was just straight medicine. You still had to do it. Right. And most, most psychiatrists don't do any kind of panels, correct? But I can't tell you how many people I cured by just by treating their hypothyroidism or their celiac disease. Right. So that's kind of why I wanted to go at. Before you realize that it's thyroid or Lyme or something, what typically are they diagnosed with? If, if someone didn't realize that that's what was going on. Depression. Most of them are depression. Just depression. Yeah. Some of the celiacs were OCD, brain fog, ADD. Hmm. And so with depression, how many, what percentage would you say you could probably make better cure with treating them for something else that was going on underlying and wasn't actually really depression? If it's a thyroid problem um, or a celiac problem, 100%. Wow. They all get better. That's the absolute cause of their problems. It's amazing how these viruses or conditions cause the psychiatric issues, right? It's like a brain. It's because their brain is either being attacked or inflamed or... Yeah, it's inflammation. Even peripheral inflammation. If you get the flu, yeah, your brain doesn't work well. It's true. And the inflammatory molecules that are in your bloodstream, they diffuse into the central nervous system and they make you feel sick. Mm-hmm. And all you want to do is lie in bed. You're very tired. 
it's not your muscles making you tired. It's your brain saying you're tired, lie, lie down, don't get out of bed. So even if the infection isn't in the brain, the inflammatory molecules diffuse into the brain. Right. Now, do you find it, if you talk to colleagues who are not doing the same thing, do you even try to attempt to explain to them what you're doing? It can be very difficult. Very, very difficult. I gave a grand rounds lecture at one of the hospitals in New York City, and a child psychiatrist came up to me after, afterwards. Oh, she actually stood up and said this while people were there and said, you shouldn't be listening to this because she's telling you that Lyme causes pandas. And she's presenting a case where the pandas came on gradually and pandas happen like that. And this girl developed symptoms gradually. Well, you know, People notice symptoms suddenly, frequently. Right, but talk to the person. Yeah, even over the course of weeks. Right, right. It's just because you don't realize it, right? And it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, what happened? Like I used to have this great, cheery daughter, and now she's not anymore. And you think it's yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So when you um, call it integrative psychiatry, what what else does that entail? Does that mean like giving them supplements? Like what what else does that mean for people who don't understand what that is? Well, it's a holistic approach, and it uses both conventional and complementary therapies. And it's very personalized. So it uses what we can call orthomolecular medicine, which is the treatment of psychiatric and medical problems with nutrition and nutritional supplements. That would be one piece. We test for underlying causes. Most psychiatry, if you think about a sick tree, most psychiatry is trying to paint the leaves green. If the leaves are hallucinating or delusional, most psychiatry is aiming at that. Whereas integrative psychiatry is trying to look at what's coming in the roots. Is the soil good? You know, mm -hmm. what, what's the ecosystem? So, you know, we could test for inflammation, hormones, neurotransmitters, vitamins, amino acids, other toxins like mold, heavy metals. I don't look for parasites in general, although I've diagnosed parasites in people who have had GI symptoms. And I don't just send the stool off. I have a parasitologist who would go in and look and you know get the organism out. So I don't generally do the parasites myself, but I refer. And then, you know, we look at GI function, we look at psychosocial issues. How is the support system? What are the relationships like? Is this somebody who lets in intimacy or doesn't, who can accept help or pushes it away? Is family supportive or not supportive? We look at mind-body issues. So we'll teach meditation and relaxation techniques exercise, you know, we'll encourage that. We try to use natural remedies for symptoms like depression, anxiety, insomnia, rather than use drugs. Mm -hmm. That would be what integrative psychiatry is about. And we do psychotherapy, you know, maybe not all integrative psychiatrists are trained in psychotherapy, but along the way, I got fabulous psychotherapy training. So I love it. And I was trained in trauma work. So I identify pre-existing traumas and the trauma of Lyme 
Mm-hmm. And I will frequently do EMDR, which is a specific technique for trauma with my patients. Other psychiatrists will do other techniques. You mm-hmm. know, I was trained in other techniques, but that's the one that I've landed on. That and e- EMDR? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a big part of it is... And that's the piece I kind of was at, at the end when I still kind of wasn't getting better is, is really dealing with like past issues. And I don't think people kind of take that, you know, like either a family upbringing or something that's happened in your life or the stress. And, and it's not really talked about that much as far as like processing it. And you might not even know what happened to you, right? It could have happened so much younger, but people just think, oh, I, I stored it away inside. It's not, but it's, it's eating at you, if, even if you don't realize it. You just can't hold any hate or whatever for anybody who's wronged you in the past because it's hurting you. Well, you know, when people get Lyme, their pre-existing issues with their family and with relationships and intimacy don't go away. So Lyme doctors and psychiatrists May, may land on treating the symptoms and treating the symptoms in this integrative way, but not necessarily going into the past or looking at that. I end up doing therapy with a lot of my patients. And that's, that's unusual. But I want to improve their relationship with their doctors. Mm-hmm. I want to teach them to be good patients. I want to teach them how to have a relationship with their illness. I want to teach them how to play the hand that they're dealt that day. Mm-hmm. You know, most people want to teach acceptance. I think that's very hard. I try to teach surrender. Just surrender to what you have today and go with it. Mm-hmm. And people have issues with their families. I can't tell you, you know, how many young line patients I have who have very destructive family relationships that really need to be worked on and they need to understand their feelings and their emotions. And even if they never got Lyme, they'd be needing therapy. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And then do you find with a lot of your patients who have Lyme that they're angry about it and, and that's not letting them get better or they're kind of like, I'm going to get better. And this is like, is that the difference between some people getting better and not is like that attitude of like, I am going to get better. I'm going to overcome this versus, you know, I've talked to a couple of Lyme, you know, other fellow Lyme people and it's like, they're angry, you know, cause it's robbed them of years of their life. I've gone through stages where I've been super angry, mm-hmm. um, you know, having lost six years of my life in a sense and the pain and the expense, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. And I deal with that too. It's, it's even though I'm mostly in remission, symptoms remain and they go up and down. So I, I too have huge medical expenses and I'm not really thinking about retiring because mm-hmm. I still need to pay my medical expenses. And yeah, pe- people are angry at what they've lost, especially younger patients. Younger patients tend to be angry that they're missing out on the college experience. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't, even if you can go, you can't drink and party and stay up late and eat whatever you want, which most college kids can. Yeah. I didn't have that. I was never angry, but when I came to realize 
how this has defined my life, I have felt sad about, gee, I've done this well. I might have been a superstar. Mm -hmm. Who would I have been had I not had to deal with this? Had I not had incredible insomnia and been exhausted all day from not having sleep, daily headaches for years, family issues, because my family thought I was a hypochondriac and I never got support from my family for being sick. It just didn't happen. Right. I had more sadness and grief. Yeah. But in my younger patients, there's more anger. In yeah. Patients, there's more grief. And I think the way I look at it is it's it's interesting because I had a similar where, you know, once I figured out what was going on, I got treated for a year. I thought I was better. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to mention the word Lyme again. I don't want it to identify me. And I kind of just moved on. Like I was like, I'm ready to just go to the next, whatever I was already doing before I got Lyme. And then I, I relapsed. And at that point, I wasn't getting better as quick as I thought I was going to the first time. So that's when I kind of embraced this. And it's like, you know what? This has got to be who I am. And I'm going to take everybody on my journey right. instead of just that's being by myself. Either. Because then I'm helping people. If I can help one person from committing suicide or, you know, because that's a huge thing that no one talks about, right? Where it's, right. It, it, it is bad. I never can understand why someone would commit suicide ever until I got to that low point in Lyme that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see why somebody would do this because if I didn't have children and I didn't have money, there's no reason to live because you're in so much pain and you don't see it way out. And I think sometimes the thought of suicide is a comfort. So I can tell you that I had thoughts of suicide from a young age, but they were never in the moment. I would say, if this doesn't go away by the time I'm 30, at 30, I can always kill myself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was, well, life is going okay at 30 and 40. I'm married. I have my kids and, you know, I've got stuff going on. But, you know, if I'm still having all of these things happening to me after the kids are grown and they're out of the house, you know, I could always do it then. So there was a comfort in feeling like eh, sometime in the distance, I could decide I'm going out. Mm -hmm. And I don't really feel that way anymore. Right. For Alzheimer's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at some point. But I think for anybody who's listening, you know, knowing that you're not alone, you're not crazy, it's it's okay to feel that way. Just don't do it. Reach out for help. It, it will get better, right? I mean, it, it will get better. For anybody who's listening who might be like considering it, it's, it will. I know there's going to be days where like even now I wake up some days, I'm like, oh my God, I feel so bad. I can't do this anymore. And then tomorrow is a different day. You know, I try to detox more. And I think almost everybody gets better. But it's a marathon through life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get the drugs that kill the persisters, maybe you will have a complete cure, but you still might be left with some symptoms. Right. And that's right. kind of where I'm at now, yeah. you know. And your damage is not going away. Yeah, the damage. And that's why one of my doctors, he's like, you have to think of it as almost like termites because he's like, you. The termites is the lime. You've killed the termites, but they've left damage that you have left over. Yeah. Have you ever prescribed ketamine to anybody? Oh, often. 
You do. Okay. I'd love for you to talk about that. I mean, I have had it done and I had, um, because at that point when I had it done a couple of years ago, I was definitely at my low, I was in constant pain. And that's when my neurologist was like, I've done it hundreds of people. And I feel like no one really talks about that much for Lyme, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, I, at the time was totally against it because I was, I'm somebody who didn't want to take Tylenol, but I think I was at a point now where I was like, okay, this is, I'm in so much pain and I don't know what else to do. And she kind of equated it to, and I'd love to hear your like thoughts on it is it's like resetting the bar because Lyme kind of takes the bar down and your body, your nervous system is just getting just kind of over hyper from everything. And what we do is try to like, the Lyme has done so much damage to your nervous system that you're just overreacting and you need to kind of reset it or bring the bar back up. So, so explain I'm, it to me, but I would love I'm to I'm generally using intranasal. Oh, intranasal. Interesting. Yes. Okay. People give it to themselves at home. So I may be treating them with antidepressants and all kinds of herbals for inflammation, but they're not, they're not perfect. They're not well enough. And I give them ketamine and they, I tell them use it, you know, four times a day or something like that for when you're really having a bad time. And it gives them a vacation. It gives them like an hour to two hours of really feeling well again. And the most important part of that, I think, is that whatever day is your best day, that shows that you have the neuroplasticity and physical plasticity to be that person of that day. So if ketamine makes you feel alive again and things are giving you pleasure and you're doing something you love, you know that that's something that's possible and you can get mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't find that the nasal gives a permanent resetting. Mm-hmm. I, you, I take it had the intravenous and you felt that it helped you in a way that stayed. Yeah, it has stayed. I've only, I did it one session, you know, several days in a row. She told me that, you know, some people come back like once a year, once every six months. I haven't done that because I haven't, you know, like I haven't been in that much pain again, but it definitely brought me out of like that bump where I could, I, honestly, the first day I did it, I could, I came out and I was like actually smiling, <laughs> you know, like that, that yeah. it gives you that smile and that, like just that extra second to take an extra break so that you can actually think, actually take your vitamins. Like, you know, just actually gives you a second to kind of breathe is how I felt, you know, it, it gave you the opportunity to then be like, okay, I can actually take my vitamins today. I actually can get my head around making a phone call. That's how I feel about giving the nasal. Yeah. It just gives you that extra, like, it's not going to cure you, but it's going to get you just to the point on the right direction and get you kind of going in the right direction to, to get you the tools. If it's eating well, supplements, calling the doctor, whatever it is to kind of get you moving forward. Or just feeling pleasure for a few mm-hmm. hours. Just liking the people that you're with or watching TV and feeling engaged in the sitcom you're watching. Yeah. That's simple. Feeling normal again. And then it flips, right? Because you would be like, okay, now I had two good days in a month. And then it went from like, I had one good day a a week, right? And then now it's like, okay, now I have one bad day a month. So it's kind of flipped itself on its head. You know, I still have bad days, but now it's the reverse of what it used to be. But I don't, I don't think people talk about ketamine enough to, to give people a reprieve to get them kind of feeling like they can, they can do it. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But it's being used more. It's catching on. 
I just have not met many people that have, have, have had it. Like when I ask people, they look at, you know, other Lyme patients or other Lyme warriors. A lot, I'm, I'm one of the only people I know that have, have used it. Um, but I know Lyme doctors and Lyme psychiatrists are using it. Yeah, exactly. Or a small group. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there anything else I haven't covered that you think is important? Yeah, there, there is. There's something, there's something that I wanted to talk about that I don't see talked about very much. I think there are personality changes that people have when they get Lyme and they're painful and detrimental, but they're expectable and real. So for one thing, I think people who have Lyme are frequently seen as being non-empathic and non-compassionate because they're very self-involved and it's very hard to get out of themselves and sympathize with somebody else. You know, so your friend had a breakup. Can you really be there for your friend? Well, you can't. You can't. You're, you're wrapped up in the intrusive thoughts that keep coming up or the depersonalization and how to get through the depersonalization or, you know, how to deal with the OCD things. It's very hard for somebody whose brain is doing that much damage to them to have empathy. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point because I find that to be my problem, especially with my children, right? Because you're, you're in constant pain. And as you said, beginning, what was it? FUD? I forgot what you used the acronym, but you're just kind of getting through the day. And so you're giving everything. Yeah, Fido. And you're just getting everything, you're getting through the day as much as you can, right? And it, and it's not a good experience, even though you're getting through the day. So when someone comes to you with an issue, you just want to be like, lash out and just kind of be like, wow, like, you don't know what I'm going through. It's hard to find empathy for other people when you're trying to relate it to yourself and everything that's happening. It can also be subtle, and emotional, like I do believe I was a good mother, that whenever my children had a problem, I was there for them. But I think there might have been an emotional component that wasn't conveyed to them with it. That while I was always there, I'm not sure that I was able to get it so that they felt my soul comforting them. Mm-hmm. It was a lack of ability to comfort myself for things that were happening, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's an important thing for psychiatrists and therapists to address. And I think the loss of sense of value and purpose and worth is very big. And what I like to teach people is the story of the light in the vessel. And... I try to get this in at every lecture or whatever I'm webinar or anything I'm, I'm doing. But there's a story that predates the Bible that in the beginning, there was the light and the vessel and all was harmony. But as the vessel became filled with light, it too became light and it needed to give. And there was nobody to give to. And there was a big bang, the vessel broke. And we all are made up of shards of light and vessel. And healing the universe is experiencing yourself as either the vessel or the light. So it's, it's taking help 
because that gives other people the pleasure of being the light to you. Mm -hmm. People feel good when people accept help. They feel like they've been helpful. They feel Mm -hmm. happy that they were able to help. So being the vessel gives other people the chance to be the light. So I try to help people become the vessel and accept help, knowing that when they're better, they will be the light. And that's how I try to deal with that. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. I love that. You mentioned the loss of identity. Are you your illness or are you you? You know, I try to separate the sense of self, that we have a soul. We have a soul that, that can grow, that can that is our personality, but it's not the things that our illness is making us do at that point. It's a deeper part of us, and that's good. And that's always there. And I try to connect with the soul of my patients. Not everybody's comfortable with that word. But I find that it's helpful. Just using self is not is often not enough to be to touch people. Mm-hmm. And shame. I think I, I want to say a word about shame. When people do lose it, when you lose your temper at your child and feel terrible because you know you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be raging at the things that you're raging at, or you're like wrapped up in your OCD and have to do things that are keeping the family waiting and nobody can do anything until you've gone through your rituals. There's a lot of shame. So I think it's important to work with the shame and guilt that people feel. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that because those are personality issues rather than the major psychiatric issues, which are severe anxiety, depersonalization, intrusive thoughts, tick-like thoughts, counting, spelling, saying the same thing over and over in your head, having earworms and hearing music that's almost like a hallucination, but it won't go away, becoming bipolar, even becoming schizophrenic. These are like the major things. These are the things that I was just mentioning, the more subtle things, and they deserve being addressed also. Mm -hmm, Because they can eat at at you as well and cause you not to get better. Yeah. Yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. I really appreciate it. And anyone who wants to um, reach out, they can find you at janemarkmd.com to see about your services and your business. And you're located in New York City. Yes, and there's an E at the end of my name. It's Jane yes. Mark with an E. Yeah, Mark Daga. And then I'll also have it in the show notes, the link. So yes. for anybody who's listening. Okay. But thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Each week, I will bring you different voices from the wellness community so that they can share how they help their clients heal. You will come away with tips and strategies to help you get your life back. Thank you so much for coming on. And I am so happy you are here. Subscribe now and tune in next week. If you want to learn how I detox and you want to check out my detox for Lyme checklist, go to lime360.com forward slash detox checklist. You can also join our community at Lyme 360 Warriors on Facebook and let's heal together. Thank you. Thank you.